Please sit down. God is good. <laughs> God is amazing, isn't he? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for putting this all together. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you're never done with us. You always have more. And we intentionally say we want more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I want to continue talking about the character of the kingdom. I probably was the start of this. I hate to say that, but I probably was. Because I called Phil one day, and I said, Phil, I think I have an answer for something. I still don't have all the answer. I just have part of it. Does that make sense? I have a little piece of an answer. You see, I know something, and you know the same thing I know, that there's more authority in this kingdom than what we're living in. There's more power planned by Jesus Christ than what we're experiencing today. Not that we're not experiencing any. We're very grateful. But there's something more. And, and I've been on this quest for several years and it just keeps intensifying. And if you would um, watch me sometimes, I'm sure you would want me to shut up because I can't get off of something. But I know God has such an amazing plan. And it's for all of us. And in the process of this over the last few months, I, not that I haven't been on this quest for many years, but in the last couple months, I, I, I know this part. And, and this is what he started speaking to me. And, and it's not a new revelation, but it had an emphasis on it that I'd never thought about. In, in that the spirit and the word has to come together. It's the spirit and the word. It's not just the word and it's not just the spirit. But in, in this quest of asking the Father, what do we do? This is what came out of it. Most of them are familiar verses, but he showed me things I'd never seen before in the same familiar places. And we all know that he, he, Jesus has already done everything. Is that not true? I'm going to start in John 19. And it says... When, and when Jesus had received the sour wine, in other words, he's on the cross and it's about to be over. It wasn't pleasant and it's about to be done. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, that was the, he said, it is finished. The same thing he went to the garden for and pleaded with his father and said, if there's any other way, but he was willing to surrender to his father's way, that's what was just finished. He just completed what he didn't want to complete, but he wanted to honor the father and he just did it. It is finished. And bowing his head, He gave up his spirit. He did all of that for us. It is finished. It, it's truly finished. And, and why? If it's so finished, are we not totally receiving what he finished? Knowing this, I know that we in the kingdom, we have a part of this. I mean, he literally tells us what to do. Nate, uh, 
brought last week and he was right about humility. We get grace by humbling ourselves. There's, there's no other way to get it. There's no other way to get it. And it depends on how we're living our lives as Christians. It really doesn't depend on how the world's living their life, by the way. We're too distracted by that, but it really doesn't depend on that. It depends on how we as Christians are living our lives. But it's not finished for us. It's finished for Jesus, but it's not finished for us. Now, what Jesus did is totally finished. Please get me right. But I need to honor that in a way that it's not finished in the workings out in how I'm living. Does that make sense to you? I've always been in, almost enamored. I know that's a strange word to use. But when Jesus went to the well with the woman, that has always enticed me and it still entices me. It entices me so much that she said, literally to him, she said, he told my whole life story, and he said a couple sentences. There's no way that he did, but he said exactly what she identified herself as. He intentionally said what he needed to say, and, and truthfully, he wasn't politically correct. But he said it with so much love and so much truth. And several months ago, probably a good six to eight months ago, I, I figured this part out, that he, he so valued her. And I started interceding. I want to value every human being. You see, he so valued her that he knew that she was so important to the body of Christ right then. She was so important to the body of Christ right then. Even though she had this story, she was so important to the body of Christ right then. I don't know how to say this anymore. You see, anybody alive in 2022 is planned by God. God already knows the end from the beginning. He already has a plan for them to be some of the greatest evangelists that's ever hit this earth. And it doesn't even matter what they're doing right now. He has those plans for them. And I've realized with Jesus at the well, in order for me to be able to think like my father, I have to think with that perspective. Holy Spirit. I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to have more wisdom. But I didn't know the answer was in this. You know, for years, I've all, you've known, I've known the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And years ago, he spoke to me. I, I, it was a clear, audible thing. And he said to me, Marlene, if, if, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's attached to the whole of it. And in order for you to grow in any form of wisdom, you have to grow in the fear of the Lord. And I thought, ooh. And that was years ago. But I had no idea how this connected. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Very familiar verse, but it says that Jesus is talking about him as a, as a young man. And it says he increased in wisdom. So he increased in the fear of the Lord. He increased in the reverence of his heavenly father as he grew. 
It literally means he increased in, in character. He increased in who he was. I'm not saying he was sinful. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. But if it says he increased, he increased. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm not trying to take something and divide it. But if scripture says he increased, he did. So he was wiser as he grew. He had more wisdom as he grew. He had more stature. So he carried more weight in the kingdom as he grew. And we carry more weight in the kingdom as we grow. And because of that weight that we carry, we also get more favor. So as we're walking in this grace that comes from humility, we get more favor. And in that process, we have more value in the kingdom at one point than we did in another as we're growing in the Lord. Does that make sense? Holy Spirit. Go with me to Luke 18, very familiar parable. And in Luke 17, by the way, he's talking about the end of time because he's literally said there's going to be, you know, two men in a field and one's going to be gone and one's going to be left, right? And then he says this. Then he spoke to them a parable. He spoke a parable to them. And he said, men or people always ought to pray and not lose heart. And we've known that if we were losing heart, we might be communicating, but God wouldn't call it prayer. Because if our heart isn't increased, if we don't have more hope when we get done praying than we did before, it wasn't really called prayer, correct? And there was a certain city. There, there was in a certain city, sorry. So this isn't everywhere at that time. It's in a certain city. There's a judge. And this is, what, this is the verse that God spoke to me, even though it was a very familiar place, that, a, a very familiar parable that I had never put together before. But there was a, there, in the city there was a judge, and the judge did not fear God, nor regard man. And God just answered a question for me. How come we can't pray for the woman at the well like Jesus did? How come we can't say a couple sentences to someone and dearly love them so much that they want to hear more of the truth of the gospel? Why can't we communicate the hope of her future and communicate the plan and the hope that God has for her and instill such hope in her that she literally goes back into the city and begs people to come and hear because it's already changed her life? Why can't we do that? She didn't, I, please don't take this wrong. There's nothing wrong with a long-term step program. If we need it, we need to use it. But if we had the authority that we are supposed to have, we wouldn't need it. Because she went straight in and evangelized her city, and she went straight to the men that had hurt her to evangelize. Why can we not do that? In this parable, it says that if we don't fear God, we won't treat men well. We won't treat human beings well. And for the first time, I understood something. If I'm not thinking like my father thinks about another person that's even totally different than me, that doesn't think like me or look like me, or I haven't had the same experiences than them, if I'm not thinking what my father thinks, I don't mean flattery things. I mean the truth of their value on the earth. 
If I'm not seeing the truth of the value of them on the earth, I am not fearing my heavenly Father. And I'm starting to realize that when God says he needs the spirit and the word, part of the spirit is us connecting with our heavenly father in such a way that we're so connected with him. It's not just who he is, it's who, how we're connected with who he is. It's how we're connected with him. It's how we're surrendered to him. It's why Peter's shadow healed them all. Because Peter was so surrendered by what he was overshadowed with. That those he overshadowed was affected by what he was affected by. Because of his surrender. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you know, at the end of this parable, verse 8, it says... When Jesus returns, will he really find faith on the earth? It doesn't mean will he find born-again people. It means will he find people that literally are connected with God, believing for more than what they're experiencing, and, and they're surrendered to the Heavenly Father, and they're starting to think like him. They're starting to act like him. They're starting to prevail like him. Things are starting to change. Because it's not about me or those people I'm connected with or my party. I hadn't planned on saying that part. But we get so connected with, and we, we're forgetting large percentages of people on the earth. Years ago when I went to New York, and this has been many, many years ago, and I had seen the most people healed in a meeting that I had ever seen in my life. I mean, there was, there was, there was wheelchairs left. There was droves of people healed. And I knew that I didn't deserve it. I knew that it wasn't part of me. I knew that God worked way more than I could ever have touched. But there was still some left that weren't healed, and it grieved me, and I was like, this is the great, I, at that time I thought, I, I was wrong, but I thought, this is probably the greatest night I'll ever have in my whole entire life, and everybody wasn't healed. And I flew that time, and I cried all the way home, and I'm sure everybody thought I'd been to something devastating instead of something miraculous, because I couldn't get it under control, but I kept saying, God, why? Why was there some left? Because you have a plan for that person as much as you did for those that left their chairs there. You have a plan. Why? And he kept saying to me, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And it, before he'd almost get it out, I'd be going, why again? Almost like I couldn't hear him. And I thought I knew everything about the verse. I thought I knew what the verse meant. I thought, this doesn't make sense. Well, the point was, I had no idea what the verse really meant. I had an idea what people had told me the verse meant. And then I went home, and I opened up the Bible this was so bad I couldn't even find it without going to a concordance. But when I found it, I realized something. And it says this. Traitors, 
headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That was the sentence. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form and denying the power. In other words, the power couldn't work through me in the way that it should, in the way that Jesus provided on the cross. It couldn't totally do it because I still loved pleasure more than God. Now, he didn't say that to me, condemning me. He wasn't the one. There was no condemnation. He was just trying to pursue me on. Does that make sense? Marlene, there's more. This doesn't have to be the greatest night you've ever seen. There's more to this. There's so much more. Life has so much more value. And when you're doing what you're made for, you, there, there's something that literally does possess in, in a way that it makes you the most content. Does that make sense? It's real. But I would no longer be denying the power. The power would be actually working through me. Go to Colossians chapter 2. This is the verse that I actually took to Phil a couple months ago. And I said, I don't know why, but I feel like this is where the body of Christ is. And maybe it doesn't speak to you, Phil, the same as it speaks to me. But somehow, this seems true to me. Colossians chapter 2. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him in him. This is about our journey. This is how this journey goes. Rooted and built up in him. Established in faith as you have been taught. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. Verse 8. Beware lest any cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. You know, those people that are deceiving us, they're not even people that are trying to deceive. They're people that are trying to help. But if I start listening to people that, that I think always have wisdom, but I just start listening instead of listening to my father. There are people that we so love, people that we so would account as wise people in different seasons. It's not, it's not for me to listen to because there's a plan of God that's stronger than what's going on. Beware, lest any of you cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. It just looks so true and not according to Christ. For in him, for in him, capital H, for in him there is all fullness. The Godhead bodily, in him there's everything. In him there's everything. In him there's everything. We start looking at things and we think different things have to happen in order for God. No, God's greater than that. His plan is already established. He's real. We are complete in him. We are complete in him. We are totally complete. We're not trying to find our completeness. We're complete in him. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 12. And you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him 
from the dead. This process of how we're walking with God right now already had authority clear back when he was raised from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Oh, Jesus. Verse 9. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what's entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those that love him. When Jesus went to the well or we go to visit somebody or we're with somebody or we see somebody and, and, and then their life is so different that we hardly know what to say to them, we can easily say to them, do you know God has a plan and that plan has such fulfillment in it that it will not only change how, how you're living, it will change the hope for your future. He is prepared for those that love him. All we have to do is surrender, and it's already prepared for you. It's already there. But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit himself. This is when th th what's in us connects with what's going on in God, and we're in a situation, and it changes things. When you have the Spirit and the Word, something happens. Something of authority happens on the earth that changes things. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which been, has been freely given to us. When we connect in the spirit... we experience, we have an inner knowing that comes with experience of those things that have been freely given to us. Those things that we might be, be having a scripture on, and we know the word, but when, when we connect with it in the spirit, we get to experience it. There's a change, and it's real. When the spirit and the word come together, when the spirit and the word come together, I'm not going to stay here long, but in Genesis it says the spirit. The Spirit was right there as God spoke. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Holy Spirit. Romans 8. You see, there's a connection here with us and the Father and how we're led by the Spirit. But in that connection of how we're led, it changes who we are and the authority that, that we walk in. Verse 16 of Romans 8, And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. There's a connection that, that bears witness in our spirit. Now think about this a minute. It means the enemy can't tell us that we're not when we are. There's a connection in the spirit that makes empty words irrelevant that beforehand were maybe not quite as irrelevant, but now the spirit himself is bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs of God. We're actually joint heirs with Christ. And, and, we, and if we're joint, 
that we may be glorified together, that you and I are going to be glorified with Jesus is amazing. You know, it's beyond my human thought, but that's how God planned it. This is the kingdom. This is how it is. This is how he planned it. And when we connect with him in that way, we have authority that we wouldn't have otherwise. Peter's shadow wouldn't have healed them all if he wasn't connected in that way. It doesn't just happen because you think, well, my shadow might heal somebody. Or my shadow could heal somebody. I don't even know if Peter knew his shadow was healing all those people. There's no way to keep track of your shadow. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. I think his relationship was so real that it was testified of. And that's why it's there. Not because he knew that that was happening. That's what life and character of the kingdom is about. And it's about us surrendering. And, and, it, and it's not just I have the right scripture. I want you to have every right scripture. Matter of fact, I want every one of you to so fall in love with the scripture that you have these same familiar type scriptures that, that you won't have my scriptures. You'll have your own scriptures. You'll have your own scriptures that God keeps feeding you with. And it just keeps feeding you and feeding you. And you talked about that a year or so ago. And then here it is again with a whole different angle. And he's taking you in a whole farther step. And you're still learning it out of the same scriptures. That's what I want. It's so real. And it changes who we are. It literally changes us. Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, I think this is so cool. And the place where they assembled, the place where they assembled together. You've heard me speak about this. It's not just where they came together and, and, and they were all just in one room. It's where they assembled together. And if they assembled together, you assemble together like you put something together. And I use the example of a bicycle or a swing set or something like that. When you assemble, it means that I'm here for you and you might be here for here. But we, we're together. We make something so much greater than we'd ever make on our own. And we're not just sitting there in one spot waiting for God to do something we literally are assembled we take our position seriously and while we're connected other people are supported by us does that make sense and the place where they prayed while in that position was literally shaken it wasn't the same after that ever and they were all filled not 20% or 10%. They were all filled. Not even those that needed to be filled were filled. Every single one was filled. So those that had even been filled before were still filled again. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. It changed their authority on the earth. It literally changed their authority. <laughs> Verse 33, and with great power the apostles gave witness. They gave witness to what? Not that they were amazing apostles. 
They gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They gave proof that what had happened and his rising again was so real and what he said was real. So the proof of the resurrection came when they were assembled together and they were supporting each other. And in that assembly, in the spirit, they were all filled to full. Does that make sense? They were all filled so they couldn't take any more, right? The place was shaken and in the process, it gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And with great grace, that means they had a lot of humility to be, have great grace. They weren't there for themselves. They weren't there for what they could get. They were there to help out everybody else. <laughs> and great grace was upon them all. Oh, every single one. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 12. And through many hands, not a couple... Through many hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all in one accord. They were still, they were still supporting each other. Yet none of the rest dared join them. Look at this. But the people esteemed them highly. Why did they not dare join them? Ananias and Sapphira had just happened. But they knew the truth of this was so real that they could do nothing but esteem what was happening. They could do nothing but esteem it because it was so vital and it was changing everything. Now look at verse 14. And believers were increasingly added. That means... That if they had 50 believers one day, they had to have at least 51 the next. If they had, I don't know, 5,000 one day, they had to have at least 5,001 the next. They were increasingly added to the Lord's multitudes, both men and women. So that they brought out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. <sighs> and the multitudes gathered from the surrounding cities, bringing the sick and those that were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. They were all healed because Jesus is so real. And when we come together and we don't, we don't look at it cut casually, but we look at it from, from a surrender place, a place of surrender. A place, does that make sense when I say a place of surrender? A place of not loving ourselves more than God. Not loving pleasure more than God. I'm not saying don't do everything, don't do anything pleasurable, but make sure your focus is not on protecting yourself. Make sure your focus is on surrender to him. Acts chapter 10. All of this is said in this two verses, basically. Peter, verse 34, he opened up his mouth. And in truth I perceive, God shows no partiality. What's Peter figuring out? 
Peter's figuring out that what God does for one, he'll do for another. But he's also figuring out something even more important than that. He's figuring out that what the Heavenly Father does for his son Jesus, he's also going to do for his son Peter. And he'll do for his daughter Marlene or for whoever. Peter's figuring this out, that there's no partiality. But there is a prerequisite. And Peter says this as he opens his mouth. He said, this truth I perceive, but in every nation. So there isn't a person that is denied this. Does that make sense? There isn't a person that has a life experience that doesn't fit this. There isn't a person from anywhere, but every nation, whoever fears him, works righteousness is accepted by him. In other words, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, makes the difference how much God can use you and I. And he doesn't have a plan to use one of us more than another. But in every nation that fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 38. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Because God was with him. Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word. How do we deny the Spirit when we're putting off the Spirit, when we say tomorrow, Lord? Now, there's some things that are supposed to be tomorrow, but when we know that He's already ordained us to do this or that, or it's some simple thing that we should be doing, but we really don't want to yet, or we don't feel the courage yet, or whatever it is, does that make sense? We're literally putting off reverencing the Lord. Because if we're saying, God, you've asked me to do this, but I don't have it yet. We're saying, I'm trusting myself more than I'm trusting you. I don't know about you, but I've done it many times. When I thought, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that, but... I don't feel the anointing yet, but I, I know it's God's plan. But then when I decided to do it, I might not even have felt the anointing when I did it. <laughs> you might say, oh, you should have. Well, I didn't always. But then somebody comes back with a testimony. There's something about surrender. That changes the life of us in the kingdom. There's something about a yes that continually keeps saying yes. That continually keeps saying yes. That continually keeps saying yes. That changes the authority in the kingdom. When Pastor Steve spoke a few weeks ago and he made the comment about Reinhard Bonnke that. The father told Reinhard Bonnke that. His words had as much authority as Jesus saying those words. I want to tell you, I believe it. But it wasn't just because he knew the word was available. It was because he was surrendered. And because he was surrendered, he had the authority. 
And you might say, Marlene, prove it. Well, the enemy said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? But when the Spirit, Holy Spirit, connects with our spirit, and we have a knowing that we're children of God, not because of a history of saying yes, like I said yes 10 years ago. I mean of a, of a life that's saying yes. Does that make sense? When I know I'm where I'm supposed to be with the Lord, I might not feel anything, but I know he's there. And because I know he's there, I can speak with the authority of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for being real to us. I'm going to ask the worship or the, the prayer team to come up, please. And, and Father, we know that you're real. And we know that you're alive. And I'm believing, Father, for literally for us as a body and for those that hear later and for, uh, for the, those people that we connect with, not just those in the room, but these people that we also connect with. I'm believing for an authority in our lives that change, changes droves of people's futures. I'm believing for an authority in our lives that changes the hope that's on the earth. And changes what people are looking at for hope on the earth. And I'm asking right now intentionally. If you're in this room and you need to say, Marlene, I need to surrender my life to the Lord. I just ask that you raise up your hand and put it back down. Just raise it up and put it back down. I need to surrender my life to the Lord. I need to surrender my life to the Lord. I need to surrender my life to the Lord. I see it. Anybody else? I need to surrender my life to the Lord. Anybody else? So I'm going to ask everybody to pray in this room for the person that raised their hand. And I'm doing this intentionally because I want them to pray boldly. So I don't want them to feel um, intimidated. So I'm asking everybody to pray. Father. I give you myself. I give you my future. I give you my history. I give you my disappointments. Even the disappointments in myself. The disappointments in my family. And the disappointments in my superiors. I thank you that you have a plan and that you are endorsing my life. You have called me, and you have blessed me, and I am yours, and I surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm just going to ask all of you to stand just for a minute, and then I'm going to ask everybody just to be obedient to God while these people are down here. And I'm going to say whatever you want from the Lord. It doesn't have to pertain to this message. But I want there to be an authority in this place that's so real. Because if they're praying for you, they're here for you. They're not here for themselves. They're, they're literally here to humble themselves and, and, and to receive grace so that, the, that, so that you can be changed.
So whatever you need from the Lord, I ask you to literally come. Scripture says we have not because we ask not. I don't really think that means because I didn't say, God, could you? I think it means because we did not position ourselves to receive. So we're positioning ourselves under him. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come.